morning. Aren't you glad you came this morning? Amen. The singing has been fantastic. Mark, thanks for taking us to the cross as we gathered around the table uh, to see so many smiling faces. It is good for me to be with you this morning. Last Sunday, Martha and I were in Alabama. We were celebrating her mother's 99th birthday party. Let me tell you something. If you ever have the opportunity to party with a 99-year-old, take it. It is kind of awesome. Uh, but it's, it was great to go. It's great to be home as well. I want to thank Dennis for doing such a great job last week uh, in the lesson that he prepared and delivered. Really encouraging, a little bit convicting. But I got to tell you, as a preacher, to have your Armor of God sermon series interrupted with the Marine General is a little bit intimidating. <laughs> So I want to thank Dennis for not correcting all the mistakes that I've made these last couple weeks and, you know, the military uh, equipment and tactics and those kind of things. A lot of self-discipline there, Dennis, so thank you. But nonetheless, we are forging ahead. We are continuing with this uh, Armor of God sermon series. We're, last half of Ephesians 6, Paul instructs us to put on the full armor of God. Before I, I get to that, I want to share with you a story that probably some of you have heard before. A collector of rare books was talking to a friend of his one day, and his friend said, you know, I found this really old Bible up in my granddad's closet, and it was in a box. It was so old, I didn't know what to do with it. it I didn't think anybody wanted it. I actually threw it away. And the guy in the conversation mentioned, uh, it was printed by Guten somebody or other. And the collector said, not Gutenberg. And the guy said, yeah, that, that was the name on it, the a Gutenberg Bible. And the collector said, you fool. A Gutenberg Bible is one of the first books ever printed. A Gutenberg Bible is worth millions of dollars. The guy said, oh, this one wasn't worth anything. Some guy named Martin Luther scribbled all over the margins. <laughs> now, with all due respect to Gutenberg and Luther, I believe that the value of God's Word goes far beyond whoever printed it and whoever might have scribbled in the margins. Our Armor of God series this morning, uh, we are going to continue, and Paul is going to shed some light on why the Word of God is just so important, and why the Word of God is just so powerful. Every week, we have read through this passage in Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to do it again this morning. Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord... And in his mighty power, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with a readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. This morning I want to talk to you a little bit about that sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. 
A Roman soldier would actually have a couple swords at his disposal. One would be a very large sword. Uh, it would actually take two hands to wield that sword. That is not the sword that Paul is talking about here in Ephesians chapter 6. Paul is talking about a much smaller sword. Uh, in fact, the Greek word that Paul uses here for the word sword in Ephesians 6 is the Greek word makaira. i got a picture there on the screen of an actual makaira from uh, ancient times. That one's actually on display at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. That's the sword that Paul is referring to when he says, take up the sword, the makaira of the spirit. wasn't very big, no longer than two feet uh, long. It was a weapon that was designed to be used in close quarters, hand-to-hand combat. And a makaira actually shows up several times in Scripture. In uh, John chapter 18, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, just uh, taking the Last Supper, we call it, you know, the Passover meal with the disciples, and the mob comes to arrest Jesus. Peter is with Jesus, and Peter pulls out a sword, cuts off Malchus's ear, the, the servant of the high priest. Jesus miraculously reattaches that ear. The Greek word for the word, for the word sword that Peter pulled out is makaira. Acts chapter 12, James, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, is beheaded. Not with a guillotine, not with an axe. He was beheaded with a sword. And the word there for sword is actually makaira. As you see in the picture, most of these swords had a curvature to them. And the reason that they were curved was to inflict as much damage as possible on your enemy. They would literally gut the person that you stabbed because they did more damage coming out than they did going in. And I know that's a really vivid, violent image, but I want you to get this in your mind. When Paul talks about taking the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, he is talking about a serious, serious weapon. He's not playing around. He doesn't say take a Nerf sword against the enemy. He's not talking about two pieces of wood that you'll tack together. He, he is talking about something that you would use when lives are at stake. This imagery of the Word of God being a sword actually comes up several places in Scripture. Revelation chapter 1, the Apostle John, um, talking about what he has seen, says in chapter, chapter 1, verse 14, His head and his hair were like wool, white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp, double-edged sword. Then in chapter 19, I saw heaven standing open, verse 11, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. In verse 15, out of his mouth comes a sharp sword. So, what does all that mean? Well, let's circle back to Ephesians chapter 6. Paul talking about the sword. And one thing I, I want to be sure you understand, this isn't my sword. This isn't your sword. Paul makes it clear this is the Spirit's sword. Sword of the Spirit. So, what does that mean? Well, it means a couple things. One thing it means is the Word of God is, is supplied by the Spirit. 
of God. God's word comes through the Spirit. We're familiar with 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is God-breathed. Some translations say all scripture is God-spirited and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And then Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. When Paul tells us to take, up the, take the sword with us, it's the sword of the Spirit. It's not the sword of me. It's not the sword of you. Meaning the Spirit of God has supplied the Word of God. But here's another thing that, that, that I think that we can draw from, from this. The Word of God is used by the Spirit of God. Okay, what do I mean by that? I mean this. If I'm going to put myself in a position to be led by the Spirit, if I'm going to put myself in a position for the Holy Spirit to work on me, to work in me, to work through me, I've got to put myself in the Word of God. Because the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. You know, I've had people tell me before, I have never had the Holy Spirit say, try to say anything to me at all. I've never had the Holy Spirit try to get my attention ever in my life. You know what? There's 66 books of the Holy Spirit trying to get your attention. He is speaking to you. But Paul gets even more specific than that. Let's dig a little bit deeper here. It actually gets, gets better than this. What is Paul talking about when he talks about the Word of God? Now, when we hear the Word of God, we immediately think, well, the Bible, right? That's the Word of God. That's, that's what we come to mind. But let me, let, me, let me tell you why I think this is really fascinating. Stay with me on this. The Word that Paul uses for Word, okay, the word that Paul uses there in Greek, that Greek word is rhema. It literally means an utterance or a thing said. In Ephesians 6 here, Paul is referring to the spoken word of God. Okay, where do you find the spoken word of God? Well, you find it in the Bible, absolutely. But here's what I want you to get a hold of. And I'll say this. I don't want to leave the impression that Satan is at all impressed because you have the word of God with you. That doesn't impress the enemy that you have a Bible with you. I've got a whole lot of Bibles in my office. I've got a whole shelf full of Bibles that I've acquired over the years. That doesn't bother my enemy. Most of us have the Bible downloaded on our phones. I literally have the Word of God in my back pocket everywhere I go. That doesn't really scare Satan. And that's not what Paul means when he says, take up the sword of the Spirit. It's sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. What Paul is instructing us to do is to take the Word of God in so that we can speak the Word of God out. We don't just carry the Word of God around. It's not enough just to have a Bible with you. It's not enough just, just to read the Bible. As soldiers of Christ, we need to know the Word of God so that we can speak the Word of God, so that we can live the Word of God, so that we can share the Word of God. Because the Word is that sharp. It's that powerful. I'll give you a couple examples. 
Acts chapter 2, that famous chapter where Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost and preaches what we usually call the first gospel sermon. And we like to pull a couple verses out of that sermon, but you need to go back and read that whole sermon sometime. So much of what Peter does in that sermon on the day of Pentecost is quote Old Testament scripture. He, he starts off by quoting the prophet Joel, and he talks about what Joel says about the Messiah. He quotes Psalm 16, where, where David talks about the Messiah. He quotes Psalm 110, where David talks about the Messiah being his Lord. So much of that sermon is Peter quoting the Old Testament. And then we get to Acts chapter 2, verse 37. When the people heard this, they were... And this is kind of interesting that Peter uses this, or, or um, Luke uses this phrase. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? They were cut to the heart. You know why they were cut to the heart? Because the word of the Lord is the sword of the Spirit. When were they cut to the heart? When they heard the word of the Lord. It had an effect. I'll give you another example. Matthew chapter 4. Jesus is led into the wilderness. He, he fasts for 40 days. And immediately following the fast, the enemy comes to him. His enemy. Our enemy. Satan comes to Jesus with a uh, temptation. And we know that Jesus didn't throw the whole Bible at him, right? Which would have been the Old Testament there in the first century. You know, what we know is the Old Testament, the Law of Moses. Jesus didn't throw everything at him. What Jesus did was speak a verse. He quoted a specific word from God from the book of Deuteronomy. Interestingly, he quotes this verse. Matthew records it in chapter 4, verse 4. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every, guess what? Every Rama, every word that comes from the mouth of God. And notice what the word of God did. It shut down the temptation. Shut down the temptation. So Satan comes at Jesus with another approach. What's Jesus do? He gives him another word of the Lord. He quotes from Deuteronomy again. And he shuts it down again. And, and Satan chooses another approach. And he comes at Jesus with another temptation. And we know what Jesus does. He gives him another word from the Lord. And he shuts down the temptation. Now, here is why this is so incredible. Why this is so exciting for us. The only weapon that Jesus used to defeat temptation is a weapon that we have at our disposal. Jesus quoted scripture. He didn't pull out a cosmic lightsaber. He didn't use some um, cosmic nuclear weapon. He didn't use a force field. He didn't wave his arms and, and create some, some you know, wonderful miracle. He didn't do all of those things that I probably would have done if I were the son of God. What's he do? He quotes scripture. He quotes the word of God. And it shut down the temptation. And this is kind of amazing. The scripture that he quoted, it was a thousand years old. It's from the book of Deuteronomy all three times. That was a thousand years ago. And it worked. You know why it worked? Because there is no shelf life on the Word of God. God's Word wasn't for one people in one time in one place. Absolutely not. It is living. It is active. Hebrews chapter 4 tells us that it is sharper than a double-edged sword. 
I'm going to come back to that in just a minute, by the way. Revelation 4, we're told that God created all things and that He sustains all things by the power of His Word. The Word of God that was spoke in Genesis chapter 1 that formed all of creation is still, sustain, still sustaining all of creation. Let there be light is an active word. It's not a, a past word. The reason we have light today is because God spoke it back then. And he is still sustaining that light. There's no shelf life on the word of God. It is living. It is active. It is sustaining. Jesus defeats the enemy with some verses that were a thousand years old. It's that powerful. And we have that exact same weapon at our disposal. So what might that look like? Well, in our lives, what might that look like? Well, if you find yourself faced with sexual temptations, your response might be something like this. 1 Thessalonians 4. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that's holy and honorable. Verse 7. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. It's the word of God. Those of us who might be tempted with withholding our resources, you know, not wanting to help those who are in need, our first response might be Proverbs eleven twenty five: A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. For those who are tempted to think that, you know, my past can never be forgiven. God's grace, God's mercy could not cover the things that, that I've done. Our first response might be 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Hebrews 10, 14. By one sacrifice, he's made perfect forever those who are being made holy. God's word tells us that Jesus' sacrifice was enough. For those who are caught up in terrible fear of death, first response might be Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. And the list literally goes on and on and on. And you're thinking, well, I can't memorize all those scriptures. You don't have to memorize all those scriptures. You can take out your Bible. When temptation comes, you can take out the Word of God and you can read it. It's amazing the power that's in the Word of God. You know, those are just a couple examples. But we need to be immersing ourselves in the Word of God. The Word of God needs to be part of our part of our days, part of our habits. Over in my office, around my computer, I've got a whole bunch of cards stuck everywhere with scriptures on them. I read them every day. I can't help. I see them. On our refrigerator at home, Martha has a whole bunch of stickers and magnets and papers stuck up on the refrigerator that have verses of the Bible on them. Over our front door, there's a wooden plaque that has a verse of Bible uh, above our door. You know, David said, your word is ever before me. Why did David need God's word ever before him? 
Because David understood how dangerous the enemy is. And he understood how powerful the word of God is. Listen, if Jesus Christ can quote a scripture and cause the enemy to flee, that's good enough for me. God has given us that exact same resource. Let me wrap this sermon up uh, by reminding you one more time uh, who our enemy is. We've talked about this almost every week in this series, but I want to I remind you again, our enemy is not flesh and blood. It's not a person. It's not a group of people. All too often we find ourselves very eager to pull out our swords and attack others or to justify ourselves. You know, it, it seems that everybody has a verse, right? Everybody has a verse. Every side of every political situation, there, there's a verse for this side and that side. Every side of any social issue, everybody has a verse that they use. Any argument that we have with someone, you know, we all have our verse that we use to put someone else in their place or to, to justify ourselves. Everybody has a verse. We love to use those verses sometimes to attack people or causes or other churches, all while defending or justifying our own desires and kind of cloaking them in this religious endorsement from God. But we've got to remember who the enemy is. Our enemy is not against flesh and blood. And the word of God was never meant to be weaponized against others to, to, to fight uh, our battles. Word of God doesn't exist to perpetuate and to expand our will. The word of God exists to advance the will of God. So we need to remember more often than not, the person who needs the point of this sword, if I can stay with the whole sword analogy, uh, the person who needs that most is me. So many of the spiritual battles of my life, they start right here. So often it's me that needs the point of the sword in the hands of the Holy Spirit. I referenced uh, Hebrews 4.12 just a minute ago. I said I'd come back to it. Here you go. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates, even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. That is a very convicting passage. There are a lot of spiritual cancers. There are a lot of spiritual lies. There are a lot of spiritual attitudes, a lot of ungodly passions, fears, anxieties, and desires that need to be cut out of me. One of the biggest reasons why I need to be in the Word of God is because I desperately need the Word of God in me. Because most spiritual warfare really comes down to who's the Lord of my life. Most, most of the spiritual warfare that, that we kind of find ourselves in the middle of can be traced back to who is really the Lord of my life? Who am I listening to? Who am I serving? 
Am I going to listen to my own voice? Or am I going to listen to the word of God? That's why we have to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. That's why it's so important. And that's why it's so effective. So this morning, be sure, when you go to battle, you strap on the sword of the Spirit. We've got a song that we're going to sing as a song of encouragement. As always, if we can pray with you about anything, if we can, as a family, help you in any way, we encourage you to meet us at the front. Let's go ahead and be standing uh, as we sing.